Today we celebrate the first week of Lent. And what is Lent, really? Lent is a discipline. We use the symbolic number of 40 days for the duration of Lent, which began, of course, on Wednesday. But this is the first Sunday of Lent. And as you know, the number 40 is a symbolic number in the scriptures. In fact, we heard in the first reading about the, uh, the story of uh, Noah, and we know that the rains came for 40 days and 40 nights. And there are numerous other instances in the scriptures where that number appears. And of course, the number is symbolic of a long period, a significant period. I'm sure most of you know this already. Why do we, why does the church celebrate and impose Lent as a tradition? Well, Lent, as I said, is a discipline. During the season of Lent, we are to reflect upon our lives, reflect upon how we're doing. We are to reflect on how we measure up to the life of Jesus. Now, all during the church year, we hear the gospel proclaimed, and there are various, uh, there are various instances and aspects and themes that Jesus imparts to us, and hopefully over a period of time, we start to appropriate the behavior of Jesus. But actually, that's not a very disciplined uh, procedure, and we need discipline. And so we take one portion of the year, and we specifically use that as our measure. Now, the gospel we had today is the very beginning of the gospel of Mark. And it's very significant that it's used today, the beginning of Lent. Because what we find in that reading that we just did in the first part of the Gospel of Mark contains everything we're going to do in Lent. Everything. And in a summary sort of way, it contains all of the things that Jesus was to do in his public ministry. You know, each of the Gospels has a certain flavor, a certain theme. And each of the Gospels uh, reflects a certain community in the early Christian church. The Gospel of Mark, which is the shortest one, begins with the public ministry of Jesus. There is nothing about the early life of Jesus. There's nothing about the, the birth of Jesus. There's nothing about his early life and his visits to the temple, and etc. and so forth. All of that is left out. We get right down to the meat of the matter. It's also the shortest gospel. It ends, of course, with the resurrection of Jesus. So it is a fitting gospel to use on this first Sunday. So what are the themes that we find here? There are four themes. And in this reading... Those four elements are performed by Jesus. First, he is baptized. Now, Jesus submits to the baptism of John. It was a lesson for everyone that what he was doing, we should be doing all the time. And that is 
renew ourselves, reform ourselves, put away the bad habits, the neglect of things we should be doing, and begin to build ourselves up again. So that is the first, repentance, renewal. Following that, he went off into the wilderness. Why did he go there? In order to contemplate, to pray, spend quiet time, reflect on what he was going to be doing, I suppose, in the public ministry to follow. So there's a period of contemplation and reflection. Following that, he, he faces temptation. He's put to the test. And by the way, this is the core of the meaning of Mark's gospel. We are all put to the test daily. And I'm not talking about some supernatural test. I'm talking about the test of living. Life is never without challenge, ever. That's the nature of our life. And so Mark is relating to all of us who face uh, threats, uncertainty, challenges, suffering, whatever. And he's giving us a path in the life of Jesus to follow in order to deal with, that, with these challenges. Now, you know, there, there is great wisdom, you know, in the scriptures uh, for example, the, that one verse in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the dark valley and the shadow of death, I do not fear, for you are at my side with your rod and your staff to give me courage. You see, and that is the journey that we are trying to take in Jesus Christ. We walk with Jesus. We invite him to walk with us. And no matter what we face, no matter what hells we have to endure, you see, he is there. Because he did it all. He experienced the full human life. Jesus knows, for example, the disappointment that many of us have from time to time. In Mark's Gospel, <clears throat> There are instances where he's teaching and he's imparting things to the disciples and they don't get it. And he says, I don't think they get it. And he's disappointed. Why don't you get it? Can't you understand what I'm telling you? There are other situations where he's rejected completely. There are other situations where he was suffering, of course. We know the suffering and passion of Jesus. We know before he died that he, in his prayer in the garden, he was reluctant to face what lay before him. He realized what was going on. And like all of us, when we have to face a, a tremendous challenge, he would rather not do it. But in his example, he, he went forward. Not my will, but yours be done. And that's our prayer. Not my will, Lord, but yours. 
In those times when we are completely clueless about what to do, we have to submit to his leadership, allow him to take over us. Now the, the fourth uh, theme of Lent is action. Jesus went out and started his public ministry. He did something. You see, he not only reflected and repented, he not only uh, had contemplation, he not only was going to face many adversities and was tempted, and the first time he was, of course, in the wilderness, he succeeded, thank God. And then he had to go out and do something. And we have the whole public ministry of Jesus. Now, um, it's very interesting, I think, that Lent has to lead to some kind of action. In other words, we have prayers and we have uh, rituals that we all go through in the course of Lent. And uh, they have to do with repentance. They have to do with prayer and contemplation. They have to do with dealing with uh, the temptations of our life and overcoming them. But in the end, we have to go out and do something. Faith has to have action. Faith without action is nothing. You know, there's a whole series of arguments that St. Paul in his, uh, in his letters takes on on this subject. What is more important? Faith or good works? And goes back and forth. And in the end, he's saying, it's like two sides of a coin. You need them both. Faith and good works are hand in hand, always. Neither is superior. And we have to do both. So we have to think about what, what can we do in Lent? What is the outcome? Now, of course, we all have individual things, right? In, in our personal lives, our families and so on, our places of work, we have things that we want to measure and review and reflect upon and renew. But in a wider sense, our place in humanity, in our community, in our church, in the public sphere. Now, this Lent, we do have a calling. We do have an action that I hope, not only this church, I know you would anyway, but the other churches, the other communities, the other associations around, around our country, we have a challenge and we have a vocation. And that is to Make sure that before Easter comes, something is accomplished in our Congress about the killing of our youth and, and anybody else. This is a pathetic situation, really. In fact, it borders on the absurd. And frankly, it's only one of the many absurdities we're being subjected to in recent history. And when life becomes absurd, we are in deep, deep trouble. Because at that point, a lot of water is under the bridge and things are happening, things that shouldn't happen. And it's hard to stop a tide. It's hard to stop a wave that's coming at you. And that wave has been building. I think the other day, I may be wrong, but I'm almost sure I heard this, that in the House of Representatives, a motion was made, and I believe 
a, a law was voted upon and passed to dismember the Americans for Disabilities Act. Now, it's not going to go anywhere because the Senate would never pass this, obviously. But the fact that they, we even considered it, why are we considering gutting the Americans for Disability Act? I don't know if you're familiar with that act, but... Now, I noticed there was a little clip on the news, and you hear this rumbling and screaming in the balconies. You know how the, how the Congress is laid out. The hall is laid out, you know, there's galleries. But they refuse to show the gallery. All you hear is all this noise, this ruckus, and everybody is looking around, and you're saying, what are they looking at? Well, all these disabled people had filled the gallery, and they were trying to make their presence felt. Can you imagine this? This is absurd. It isn't even just bad. It's, it's science fiction. That's just one item. And now, the governor of Florida and one of the senators of Florida when they were immediately asked, well, in other words, what should we do? What are we going to do? And he said, well, it's really not time yet. We have to grieve in all this. We've been grieving for God knows decades with murders. Guns all over the place. Now, I'm not against guns. I'm, uh, I'm against the fact that we didn't even renew the assault weapon law, which our own senator 20 or 30 years ago had proposed, and it went on for 10 years, and then, of course, it expired, and nobody wanted to renew it. I mean, that's the least we can do, the least. We don't even do the least. When things like this happen, we're in deep, deep trouble. We have to rise up. This is just common sense. It has nothing to do with your political background, nothing to do with, you know, the way you think. It has to do with following the dictates of a human conscience. So that, I propose, should be uh, our work. Now, I don't know. There are many things we can do. As you know, you know as well as I do, there's numerous ways in, in which to support this kind of action, but it must be done. This is the moment to strike. I don't know if you were able to see the, the comments of, of the young people who survived in that high school. They were interviewing them, and boy, that they, that went viral all over the internet. Admirable. And, you know, so cogent, so intelligent. <laughs> we have to go way down there to hear rationality. And that's pathetic. We hear nothing from the leadership, nothing. Now, the other night, and I mentioned this earlier at the 8 o'clock, I was really impressed with our kids from Tam High. The other night, you know, they had this spontaneous rally. It was the only one, actually, from a high school all throughout the Bay Area and was widely reported. And when I saw it on the TV, I was saying, oh, good for Tam High. You saw it. Maybe the youth have to rise up, finally, themselves. Because we're always looking to others, you know, to do it, the leadership and so on. But maybe they have to do this. And so that is our work. One of our parishioners, one of our families, uh, they have a young daughter uh, who's in eighth grade. They lived in Newtown, Connecticut. 
for a number of years. Uh, there was a job opportunity that uh, enabled them to actually leave there and to come here, and they live here. The father related to me in an email that if he had stayed there, and they loved the place, by the way. They were happy to be there. They had no plans of leaving, but of course, business and other things always dictate you have to go where you get the money. But it's interesting, he said, if we were still there, his daughter would have been in that massacre. She was of that age at that time. So it hits home. It hits home everywhere. I mean, here we are in California, Marin County, and we have someone who would have been a casualty back in Connecticut those years back when we had the Newtown Massacre. So I just ask you, whatever you can do, whatever you can support, first and foremost, by the way, the Lenten practices, whatever you can do there, first and foremost, to reflect on your life, look to Jesus as a model for the way you should live your life, and call upon his strength to help you in all your endeavors. But then I, I ask you to Try in whatever way you can to support this effort. Let me close by saying this. I don't remember the year. It was in the early 1990s, I think. In Iceland, I know this is a strange association, but in Iceland, the government had really not performed very well, and people were very unhappy, and particularly because Women, apparently, in Iceland at the time, had very little power at all. You know, they didn't, um, they were sort of in the lower echelon of society. They didn't really have any authority. And of course, as the government began to be challenged, they rose up. Some of you, I'm sure, know about this. They went on strike. All the women in Iceland went on strike. Now, Iceland is a small place, so it's not like the United States. But they rose up. They had a national strike. They refused to go to work, do anything, even cook for their husbands, you know, whatever the case may be in that tradition. And they brought the government down. It's very famous. You can look this up. You know, you can go on Wikipedia and you can see the, you know, the, the end of the, uh, the government in uh, in Iceland in the 1990s. The whole government came down. And actually, in the next election, a woman was elected. Now, I just bring this out. When people mobilize together for the proper reason, not just saying a good cause, but for justice and the rights of humanity, things will happen. And so I just urge you to I just urge you to do whatever you can to encourage this kind of thing so that before Easter time, something gets done once and for all. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God 
and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.